So we continue our journey of learning through the Gospel of Mark, specifically chapter 3 this morning and verses 7 through 21. Uh, This morning we will see why people were coming to Jesus, the choosing of the 12 disciples, and as the weeks continue, we will go into the remainder of the chapter, uh, learning what the unforgivable sin is, why Jesus' family and friends thought he was out of his mind, and who Jesus regarded his family, eternally speaking. Now, God desires that what you know is understood and becomes personal wisdom, that is, actionable knowledge. And that action becomes the fulfillment of God's will for you to the glory of the Lord, our God, Christ Jesus, our Savior. You know, I'm going to read a few verses that way it'll help us as we think about this. You know, James 2.17, thinking about actionable knowledge, says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It, it's worthless. It has little to no effect. John 15, 5 says, Jesus speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God desires that we be fruitful, that we produce fruit worthy of the repentance that we've come to know. In Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In all of this, what we will see, and as I stated a couple weeks ago, we will see, we will, we will hopefully understand the principles of morality, godly wisdom, and most importantly, what blesses and glorifies Jesus. So we begin with the question, why do you come to Jesus? Hopefully you've been thinking about that. Why are you here? Why are you seeking Jesus? Why are you pursuing him? Why do you pick up your Bible and read it? Why do you gather in fellowship? Why do you worship him? We should be thinking about those things. Why do you come to Jesus? You know, again, going to verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. They came from everywhere. Beyond the Jordan, on the other side, east of the Jordan, they were coming from north, south, east, and west. They were all coming to Jesus. And it says, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And so we know the reason why they came to Jesus. We know Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand. We just went over that a couple weeks ago. 
And at this point, the Pharisees were plotting with the Herodians as to how to destroy Jesus. And then at this point, Jesus withdraws to the Sea of Galilee and his disciples go with him. At this point, just imagine the throngs of people that are coming to Jesus. They're coming to him from everywhere. You you can see caravans. You can see individuals, friends, families that are coming to see Jesus. The question we should always ask is, is why? What is the motive behind the action? What is it that these people are seeking? One person might say, what does it matter? They're coming to Jesus and they, were, they will hear the gospel. Another person might say, what they come for is what they'll expect and only stay for. You know what? Both are right. If you notice, we can't get wrapped up in that. That's not something we should ask of ourselves why it is that we're coming to Jesus, but it could be for both. Because if you notice, again, I draw you, draw your attention to Jesus Christ. How is it that he responds to the throngs of people that are coming to him? Does he turn them away? No, he doesn't turn one soul away. He knows that most of them, the majority of them, are coming because they have heard of all the miracles that he's performed. That's what they've heard. You think he doesn't know that? Absolutely right. Remember, God wishes that no one should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. And the exercising of our faith in God is what is pleasing to the Lord. Remember that God doesn't force anything on us. He doesn't especially force salvation upon us. We hear and so we respond. Either we reject or we receive. There's only two responses to the word. There's only two responses to the offer that God makes to us through Jesus Christ. There are those who come to Jesus because they heard that he heals people and they need healing. There are those who come to Jesus because he is the son of God and they heard he forgives sins and they want to know whether that is true or not because they have many sins and are fearful that those sins would keep them from eternal life with God. Unfortunately, at times that is only sought after upon hearing that we have perhaps only a short time to live. Or we're at a funeral and mortality is on our minds. Or we are in this place to where we are on our backs, we're in trouble, and we need to seek deliverance from whatever it is that we find ourselves in. 
There are still others who come because they want to feel like they've done something good, something charitable for society, their family, and their marriage. Oh, it's a good thing that I send my kids to church. I've heard that over and over again. You know how it is that certain children have, have come to church, their parents not even darkening the doors of the church, but knowing that perhaps there's something good there that they can learn. They can grow up to be fruitful in some way, shape, or form in society. And there are others who come because they have to. They feel obligated. Uh, perhaps you're a child and you're here because you have to. That's just what we do as, as a family, as parents. As long as you live under my roof, you will come to church. That is just what we do and who we are as a family. And there are others who feel obligated because you've been invited. Oh my gosh, he just keeps inviting me and I just, you know what, to just get him off of me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church. Listen, Jesus knows all of this. He knows exactly why you're here. And we need to understand that he desires that all would hear. And that, you know, as, as Ray prayed, that we would all have... Ears to hear and hopefully hearts that are ready to receive what God offers and yield to who he is and what he desires for us. Because God desires that all would hear and listen to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that although our sins separate us from God, that we come to understand that he made a way for those sins to be forgiven through the shed blood of his son Jesus Christ if only we believe in Christ Jesus and know the forgiveness of God through him by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ and we turn from our sins why were they coming to Jesus in verse 8 it says when the great crowd heard all that he was doing they came to him Verse 10 says, For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So Jesus told his disciples at that point, he knew that they were coming, they were pressing all around him, get a boat ready, so that that way the mob will not crush me, that are coming to be healed, and perhaps even at my expense. Which is ironic, knowing that he did indeed come to seek and save the lost and desires to heal, but in the eternal sense, not in the temporal sense. I want to, one, one thought and something that was brought to my attention as we were coming here. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. It is not in my notes, so if you're looking for it, you won't find it. John chapter 6, and we're going to go to verse 22. We're going to work through this rapidly. 
just to help us understand where they are at this point and in how it is that there are many who follow Jesus or come to Jesus for the wrong reasons. And at some point, if it's not based on salvation, then they quickly turn away. In John chapter 6, verse 22, it says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw a sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus spoke this to him. He says, some of you are not here even because you saw the miracles, but because you got fed. You know, after service, normally we have food. You're not here just for the food, are you? Jesus actually told them this. This is what I love about my God. He sets things out very plainly. Sometimes we, we think, well, you're, you, you can be so forward, you can be so abrupt with, with the word or calling something out. Well, that's how our God is. He just, he speaks what is true, right? And this is what Jesus was doing. Look, verse 27, as we continue, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? This is very important. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. You see the miracles? You see the multiplication of food? All that is to point out that Jesus is truly the son of God who was sent to die for you. Do you believe? Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus responded, he said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Listen, many of you are afraid right now, filled with worry over this virus. Why? Why? If you are the Lord's, if you are found in Christ, there's nothing to fear. Nothing at all. I'm, t I'm telling you, I, I know that 
I'm not insensitive. Trust me. I've had family members, us, we've gone through it. I have close friends, some right now are home uh, with the China flu. And you know, it did come from China, right? Okay, all right. And so we know that to be true. But listen, we, we don't have to fear. Not at all. There's, there's nothing to fear. In Christ, it's a win-win. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I, I sat here in worshiping with all of you this morning. And I can tell you that I was filled with an, uh, a zeal for, a desire for, a, a passion for being in the house of the Lord. There's no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord. One day I will be there. Whatever moment the Lord has assigned for me, I welcome it. I cannot wait. But until then, let's occupy until our Lord comes. Let's do what is right. Let's live with faith, without fear, standing up to anyone and anything that opposes our Lord and our God and tries to diminish his glory. Let's continue to move forward. Because no one that's been given to our Lord and in his hands will be taken from him. You cannot lose that. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Raised up to resurrection in Christ, we will be resurrected. Isn't that exciting? That should be absolutely exciting, something that we look forward to. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. He is drawing you, by the way, this morning. And you need to respond in some way, shape, or form. He's calling on you. He's tugging on you right now. He's drawing you by his kindness. He's offering to you grace. How will you respond? Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, resurrection is referred to. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Again, he says that, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. In the hearing of the religious leaders, those who knew the word very well, the teachers of the law. But then it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? When things that are difficult to receive, this is the same question that he asked you and I. Do you take offense to this? Is it too difficult for you? Is it too much? Are you offended? Are you find it dif- finding it difficult to receive? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? At some point, his disciples will see him ascend. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I'm going to repeat that. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is, help me out, no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And look at this, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's happening today. Brothers, sisters, church. There are many who are doing the very same thing today. Have you taken offense? Oh, I, I beg of you. Please allow the Spirit to bring conviction over your hearts, our hearts, that we may humbly confess and repent before Him, that we may stand up and be counted that we may be steadfast and immovable in the Lord, always abounding in His work, for it is not in vain. I was drawn to that. I, I had to read that through with you to point out that as we're seeing in Mark chapter 3, we saw in John chapter 6, it's the same thing. There were many who turned away from following Christ. There, were, there are going to be many who fall away from the Lord, even today. Listen, we are grieved by those who are lost. But we are not distracted, deviate from what the Lord wants to do in our lives. We continue to move forward, pray for them, and continue doing the work of an evangelist discipling all, making disciples of all nations, that's what we are called to do. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3. Verse 
And verse 11 says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And then verse 12 says, And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Interesting. <clears throat> Why? Right? Again, it's that question. We should, that question should always be on the forefront of our minds asking that question often as we read God's word and seek to understand why it is that he does certain things at certain times. Because I find it interesting that when the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him. They knew who he was. And they cried out declaring truth about him. Oh, we know who you are. You are the Son of God. But then we know, as we read that he strictly commanded them, he ordered them not to make him known. It is thought that the cries of the unclean spirits were for the purpose of controlling him, stripping him of his power. That somehow specific knowledge and the declaration of it would actually lessen who Jesus is and lessen the impact he desired to have on those who heard him. His time had not come. It was not time for him to go to the cross. And so for them at that moment, it wasn't time to reveal to them in their time who he was. And so he commanded. He ordered them. And he had authority over them. Listen, Jesus wasn't interested in the confession of the devils. Uh, the demons, they confess they know who Jesus is. But they are already condemned. Jesus was interested in the people and he was there for them. This is what he desires. According to Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Listen, we need to figure out why we continue to come to Jesus. What is it that we're seeking? What do we desire? He desires an intimate relationship with you. He desires that you would have the peace that surpasses all understanding, the hope that the world can never give, the strength that can only come by knowing him and having joy in the Son of God. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his purpose. That is his purpose now. Why do you come to Jesus? Secondly, there's this confounding of the wise found in verses 13 through 21. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with them, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. You know, Luke 6, 12 tells us that Jesus had gone to the mountain and he, that he prayed all night. And it was in the morning it says, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. 
according to Luke 6.13. Jesus, the Son of God, he called unto himself those whom he desired, and they came to him. These were the 12 men Jesus chose, period. These would be the men that Jesus chose to be with him and would be used for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the church, that they would be the founding fathers of the church in that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth in that people would come to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. As we consider what a disciple is, you know, we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, a disciple is actually more than a student. Um, a, a student is one that studies a subject uh, for the purpose of perhaps uh, a, a, a greater or a larger area of interest. But Jesus appointed these 12 to the office of apostle and to fulfill the work of the ones who were chosen to be with him and be sent out to preach the gospel. Today, uh, the apostle, capital A, the office of an apostle, there is no more. So if anyone says, I am an apostle, uh, they're, they're, they're pulling your leg, they're trying to deceive you, and it is not true. Now, small a means one cent. You know that in that sense, cent, sense, we're all sent. And we are to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's these 12 that he chose to be with him and be sent, sent out to preach the gospel. It was for that express purpose alone. A Christian is to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not anyone's disciple, but a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, question, what does it mean to be a disciple? We all need to know that. Number one, we need to be with Jesus. Number two, we need to follow Jesus. Number three, we need to trust in Jesus. Number four, we preach Jesus. Again, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus desires that we be very fruitful. Listen, a person who does not learn to and desire to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ will accomplish very little for the kingdom of God. And they will only last a certain amount of time in serving him. They, they, won't, they won't last long. I've, I've seen it over and over and over again. Over the course of the years that I've been walking with the Lord and, and serving him. Listen, a personal relationship with Jesus is necessary. It's critical. It's essential to be useful to him and for him. It is not out of obligation that a person would draw close to Jesus, but rather out of devotion and a love for the one who was a sacrifice in your place and forgave you from the sin that condemned you to eternal hell 
He saved you by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, as I said earlier, a student studies a subject. A disciple of Jesus Christ closely and intimately follows the teacher because he is the greatest subject of greatest value and the only subject to preach that has any value whatsoever. The closer you get to Christ, the more intimate your relationship, the less you will be reluctant to simply communicate to others just how much he loves us and that they too can know salvation through Jesus Christ, that he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, we're not preaching the hot topics of the day. Social justice, that's, that's not for the church. Um, CRT, even less. BLM, absolutely not. How about tolerance? No, actually, God is very intolerant. Did you know that? He's, he's tolerant in that, in that he, he wants all to come in that sense. Come as you are, but as you come, he doesn't say stay as you are, does he? No. You know, he doesn't say that. As you come, he calls you to repent and, and then yield your life to Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. Listen, we proclaim the gospel, nothing more. There is no time for distractions, for the non-essentials, for what detracts us, non-gospel messages of the world to be focused on within the church and by Christians. That, that's, what are we known for? What, what do we stand for? Should be the gospel. Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John, John, or James, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 3, 10. Uh, None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned fall, and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's all one for the purpose of his glory, knowing first and foremost salvation, and secondly, doing the will of the Father, as he has laid it out for us in the word of God. And so Jesus called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he spent time with them and they with him in preparation for them to be sent out to preach the gospel. And the power that Jesus would give them would include the power to cast out demons and to heal. Truly wonderful, amazing power and authority that they would have. But let's go through the selection of disciples to be apostles. There were, and I'm just going to name a few, Peter and, Peter and Andrew, they were brothers. James and John, they were brothers also. 
They were also fishermen. Remember, he was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw them tending to their nets. And he called them to follow him and they followed him. And then we have Matthew. Matthew, well, he's a, he's a tax collector. We learned that he was, he was considered a traitor and an enemy of the Jews. He was someone who um, sided with Rome. Then we have Simon. Like, talk about a, a crazy mixed-up group of, of men. Simon, on the other hand, he was a zealot. He absolutely hated Rome. And then you have Judas. Well, we know Judas, every time Judas is mentioned, Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed Jesus. Every single time. Now, who we know mostly about are Peter, James, John, and Judas, right? The rest we know little to nothing about, but that's okay. They were still apostles. They were still selected by God. Listen, sometimes we think that, that we, we need to be known, especially in today's day and age uh, with social media. Uh, we present ourselves to be someone that we're not often. Um, we we want to have certain followers, all kinds of likes. In fact, we're continually checking our social media to see who read our stories or who liked and, and we, we can't believe that someone would actually disagree or say something that uh, would hurt our feelings, right, in the comments. And so, of course, you delete those comments. And, uh, and no, I'm just kidding. But with all of that, though, what we, what we do is we become self-centered. Listen, in God's eye, the greatest of all is the one who serves all. The one who is least will be the one who is brought up. That's in God's economy, though. But those are the men that we know most about. But we know about Peter. What do we know about him? He denied Jesus three times. He fell asleep on Jesus when he was asked uh, to stay awake and stand watch. Uh, we know that he spoke out of turn on may many occasions, right? And then we have James and John. They were nicknamed Sons of Thunder by Jesus. Did, did he boot them out of apostleship? No, he kept them. And the reason why they were called sons of thunder, given that nickname by Jesus, is because they wanted to call down fire from heaven on a Samaritan village that had rejected Jesus. The question is, were there no others that Jesus could have chosen as apostles? Weren't there any better candidates? The answer is, of course, there, there are others, right? But maybe in the eyes of the world, that would have been just fine. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, uh, it says, uh, For consider your calling, brothers, do not, uh, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's in the ESV. I just quoted it in New King James. Listen, that should be encouraging for you and I. Consider what Jesus desires to and can do with anyone and through anyone. It should be encouraging to know that Jesus calls on even those who are despised and rejected and thought of little by the world or not thought of at all to not only come to salvation and be his disciples, but to also be used by him to go preach the gospel to a world that desperately needs hope and salvation. And so we see many. Many were coming to Jesus that he didn't have any room for or time even to eat. And his family and close friends thought he had gone mad. After all, listen, you know Jesus' career as far as his family and the world was concerned, right? You know what he, he did for a living? He was a carpenter. You mean you left that? You were so good at it. You did it perfectly. And he did, right? You left that to be a preacher. Oh, and now you have all of these enemies, and they want to destroy you. So many people are gathering around you and pressing in. They have all these demands on you. To top it off, you chose Peter and Andrew, James and John, all these guys. Why would you pick them? You're always gone from the house. We never see you. No wonder they thought he was out of his mind because according to the world, that's all something that cannot be understood. Don't get it. Don't see it. Listen, he loved the Father more and desired to do his will over what his family desired him to do and be. I'm going to repeat that. He loved the Father more and desired to do his will over what his family desired him to do and be. That's something that the church needs to hear again and again. Did I just offend anyone? I'll be nice. Because it really doesn't matter. That's, that's what we need to get to the point to where when we hear God's word, it's like, gosh, that, that was hard, but it's true. It is so true. Listen, he was confounding worldly wisdom, and it's the same thing today. And and listen, we don't understand those comments. We don't understand those verses. We don't understand that I just refer to unless we have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, unless we know salvation and we are filled with gratitude in our hearts and we know that we belong to him and no one else. That is when it all makes sense. He was confounding worldly wisdom. 
The world does not understand why someone would draw so close, closely to Jesus and seemingly neglect what the world deems most important. Why would you do that? Our preeminent love for Jesus will always confound the world. Always. Because the world does not understand the gratitude a believer has for the salvation they have come to know in Christ Jesus. Again, the question for, and it just, it's question after question, right? You have many questions, Pastor. Yeah, I do. And I hope that the, the Lord has these questions for you so it can provoke thought in you, a response. Do you understand? Do you possess that gratitude in your own heart? That the, the preeminent, the, the, the highest thoughts and purpose and desire in your own heart is to do the will of God in your life. That you love him supremely above anyone and anything else. Why do you come to Jesus and know that the Lord does things that confound the wise even today? Why do you come to Jesus? Uh, you know, I, I want to leave you with this. And I, and I read this and I thought, this is, this is perfect and this is where we should be. I read about a man um, and how it is that he had, he had asked a theologian this question. Why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot to be his disciple? Good question, right? The teacher replied, I don't know, but I have an even harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? Why? I don't know why. All I know is that he did. And that we simply need to respond with hearts full of gratitude. Jesus has chosen you for salvation. The question is, have you demonstrated your love for him? Have you repented of your sins and asked him to be Lord and Savior? And if so, are you drawing close to him? And are you growing in your being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because to be a disciple means to be with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and to preach Jesus. Father, <clears throat> I thank you for the love that you demonstrated to us. And Jesus is the one whom not only the one through whom we know salvation and in whom we know salvation, but also the one we need to learn how to follow, to yield to, that we may bring you glory as a response to the love that you first demonstrated to us. And I pray, Lord, for, for you to forgive us of our sins, Lord. And if there's anyone here who who, Lord, is lukewarm or perhaps is in a backslidden state, I ask, Lord, that, that at this very moment they, they would be willing to humble themselves before you, ask for your forgiveness, that you would pour out your spirit upon them and that they would completely give themselves yielding to you. Lord, being full of passion and a desire, Lord, to bless and honor you with and in their lives and that you would use them. Mightily. I also pray for anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior and 
knowing that if we confess our sins, Lord, and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and was resurrected after three days, Lord, that we would come to know salvation. And that with that, that new heart, Lord, we would have a new desire and a new purpose in our lives. And so, Father, I ask that you would do your saving work this morning in the hearts of anyone who is listening, watching, and is here present this morning. So we leave it all in your hands, Lord. We thank you for this morning and your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.